Good morning. Welcome to Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we look at the impact of youth throughout the Bible. So if you guys want to turn to Daniel chapter 3, that is where we will be studying from this morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Tired. Tired? Yeah, like I said last week when we finished Jude, I'll be starting this new series over the summer. Uh, I'm really excited about teaching this, but technically, I didn't start this series. Were they Emily young? did. Were they young? Yeah. Yes, they would have been youth. Oh. And despite their youth, they, like they would have been probably 13 or 14 years old. No, they were, they were young. So, uh, the series, despite their youth, the idea is that we're going to pick a specific youth from the Bible every week, and we're going to study through, like do a character study. Uh, usually it'll involve us picking a story, like today, the fiery furnace, Emily taught David and Goliath, next week we'll be teaching Daniel, so... It's just showing how God worked through them despite their youth. So, this week we'll be studying Daniel chapter 3. To be more specific, chapter 3, verse 8 through 25. I know that's not up there. Um, Yeah, and I've titled this message simply, Shadmech, Meshach, and Abednego. And the sections are are as follows. The three accused... The king asks, the three answer, Uh, sudden temperature change, and four men alive and well. And uh, before I jump into the message, I want to give you guys some context by reading the first seven verses. We're not going to be digging into the first seven verses, but it gives you the context. It It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music you shall fall down, and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for this story, Lord, and this new series that we're going to be going over throughout the summer, Lord. I just pray that it really 
impacts their, these, these youth's lives. Or just being able to see how uh, being a youth doesn't hinder you from being used. Or from you using us. So Lord, as, I, as uh, we study this, this uh, story, Lord, just uh, show us something new, Lord, to apply to our lives. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So the first point or section is the three accused. It says in verses 8 through 12, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Starting off, what is happening in the first five verses? What are the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being accused of? My thought here is, what type of ego must this king have had to set up a gold statue that is 60 cubits tall, which is 10 cubits taller than the gallows that Haman built? That's about, I think I have it here, 100 feet tall. Why, that's some ego he must have to build a statue of himself, all gold, 100 feet tall. Was it hollow? I don't think so. All the riches they had, it was probably pure gold. Yes, exactly. Same type of story there, right? These wise men come up, hey, Daniel's up there, and he's not, he's actually praying to his God. Then he gets thrown into the lion's den. So, when I read verse, from verse 1 to 12, you basically get, uh, get to hear that the king made a golden statue of himself, 100 feet tall, and made a decree saying that everyone who hears the sound of instruments is to bow down. He told his officials to spread the word, that there was also a penalty for those who did not bow, that they were to be thrown into a furnace. We then see certain men accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of disobeying the decree. So when the passage says certain Chaldeans accused the Jews, all I can think of is like, uh, the, cert, like the wise men of Persia who, you know, they convinced the king to do stuff in Esther that he oftentimes regretted later. I also think of Haman. So, Naomi, you were technically right earlier. Right? They were all looking to gain, or for their own gain, to convince the king to do something stupid. Right? And as Jonathan said, I also think of Daniel in the lion's den. He too was accused of disobeying a decree. What we, do you guys remember what we learned about certain men last week? week in the like the last three weeks about how 
Like, what, what are certain men after? What other stories do these three men remind you of? Not specifically just, like, there has to be three men. Is that word that the three men disobeyed? We'll see their response to how, like, to them disobeying later when the king asks them about it. Right? The point here is that certain Chaldeans are like sharks in the water smelling blood. Right? Or a lion in the field seeing a wounded gazelle. They're looking to attack. They see a weakness, exploit it. Wow. Okay, and before moving on to the next point, don't think that these men were looking out for the best interest of the king or the best interest of the people. Right? Don't just think, oh yeah, we're employed to look out for the king. Like They made a decree, so we must make sure people are following it. That's not their motive. Money, fame, the main one is that they're out there to gain an advantage through false teaching, through uh, leading people astray. So all we, all we see here in the first five verses, these men were probably upset because they're in Babylon, right? The Jews were taken captive to Babylon. And now there are three Jewish men, four if you count Daniel, who are, who are like high in the ranks of the king when they are not. These, Daniel at this point would have been second in command to Nebuchadnezzar out of the entire province of Babylon. And these three men look out of the fair, look after the affairs of the province. And they're all Jewish. They were all slaves. They were all captives. So they were probably upset that they were raised higher than they were. That the Jews were in the higher office. They weren't looking out for the kingdom's best interest. They were looking once again to gain their own advantage to take to see that these men who are ranked higher than them are disobeying, so we must take them down a peg. Or take them out of the equation entirely. They really are. Like, what's with it? Like Ahasuerus, all these wise men that they have, and Nebuchadnezzar, all his wise men, and later Darius, all his wise men. Maybe they should just like not use wise men. That's my thing. Or actual wise men. Yeah. So the next point in verses 13 through 18 is the king asks and the three answer. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, lyre and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you don't worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is God? Who will who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you on this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Point two. Yeah. Point number two. So first thing we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar's ego is hurt. Remember, this dude had a massive ego to set up a golden statue of himself. So it's hurt. He's he hears that three men, three men, disobey. And he's like, oh my gosh, this hurts. I can't, they need to come here. Like he's furious. Bring them to me. I need to talk to them. You know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, Mordecai being the one person who did not bow to Haman, and Haman getting, like, really upset and, you know, ended up trying to kill all the Jews. He jumped to a much worse conclusion than the king here. The king was just going to burn these three men, Right? These, he's like, he must have been thinking, how dare these men refuse to bow to my image? I'm the king. I'm God. Like most kings thought in that day. He's like, bring them to me. I must hear this from them, myself. Now, think of this scene as a good cop, bad cop routine. Right? These three men are brought in and interrogated by the king. He asks in dismay, is it true? Is it true that what I heard, that you guys aren't bowing to my image? Is it true you're not bowing to this statue that I made? Then he tries to convince them to bow down to his image, saying, when the instruments start playing, and if you bow, good. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. They'd be sentenced by death by fire, which... I don't, I don't want, actually, I prefer that over Haman's death, actually. Yeah, I don't want to be hung like in the Persian Empire. I'd rather be burned. Uh, so, if they took this offer to the world, this would seem like a lose-win, right? You lose your conviction, you lose whatever you believe in, but you gain your life, right? You get to live. And the world is so quick to choose that. They're like, oh, I'm just losing what I believe in. Ah, what I believe in isn't all that much, so whatever. I get to live still. And I'd prefer to live over that. I look at it as a lose-win, that you lose your soul. You lose what you, like everything you believe in. Like this life's temporary. Everything you believe in is not temporary. Like, you believe in God, that's going to be led to eternal life. You lose your soul, but you win your life. Or lose your life, win your soul. Right? I'd rather lose my life than give in, compromise my convictions. The world sees it the opposite. I don't care about my convictions. I like my life. I don't want to die right now. I want to live. Like, I'd rather die than lose my conviction. Don't compromise on your convictions. 
right? This offer that he gives serves one purpose. It's to stroke his ego. He's basically, he basically asks the question, is this worth dying for? Are you, not, you not, not bowing to my image? Is that worth dying for? The answer they give is yes. It's always worth it. To, to lose your conviction is not worth dying for. To stand for your conviction, like living a life without conviction, not worth it. I'd rather die than lose my conviction. Right, before we dig into their answer uh, a little more, he throws one last jab at them, saying, who is the God who will deliver you from me? He thinks he is so powerful. He's like, I'm king and my people, I'm God. You know, who's going to save you from me? I have all the power to throw you here into this, this furnace. Who's going to save you? He's going to eat his words in, in a bit. But his, his ego is just getting a little too big. All right, just a little bit. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make their stand. They, say, they take their stand saying, we are not afraid, for the God who we serve will deliver us. They have complete faith in God. Complete faith. They had the same attitude that Esther had. You remember what attitude Esther had when she entered the court of the king? She said, if I perish, I perish. She would rather die saving her people or attempting to save her people than stand idly by. Now, they had the attitude that they'd rather die for the Lord than live apart from him. Right? These three saw the command slash decree that, that was given. And they saw that it was against what they believed. It was directly against the commandment from God in Exodus 20. Verses 1 through 6 that say, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make, no, you shall make for yourself no carved image or, likeness, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is water underneath the earth. You shall not bow to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. I am, I, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. In the Ten Commandments, that, that's literally from the Ten Commandments. You shall make no carved image. You shall worship no other gods before me. They're following that command. They saw that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make himself a god. He was trying to make people bow to him. And they were like, no. I, can't, I cannot disobey my god. They took a stand for what they believed. She was brave, courageous. Remember what she said. Remember what I said in Esther 1. 
He said, we need to be careful what we stand for. We can't contradict what the word of God says. These men stood in accordance to what the word says. And when this happens, right, when, when we're standing, like when we know what the word says, we can't and we should not keep silent. In addition, when we take a stand in God, no one can defeat us. It says in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? They knew what side they were choosing. They knew the God they served, and they took a stand. Latin, next, moving on, we're going to see that because of it, they face a sudden, sudden change of temperature. But they didn't, they didn't waver, right? These three men experienced a massive, or should have, experienced a massive and sudden temperature change. We learn in the next point that it didn't exactly happen, that they experienced it, but they should have. If these men, these guards died bringing them to the fire, they probably should have experienced it. The other interesting point that I would like to, to make is that these men were given a couple opportunities to compromise on their belief, on their conviction, right? They could have bowed, when the decree was put out, they could have bent the knee when Nebuchadnezzar gave them their ultimatum. And you could even take the, uh, that idea of that, you know, this is their last, uh, last effort to bend the knee when they're walking towards the furnace. Now, now they're going to face this fire and they don't really care. They're like, you know, I'd ra- like they had that attitude that I'd rather die for God than live apart. And that's an amazing attitude to have. I love how Charles Spurgeon uh, put it on this matter. He said, remember that by yielding to the fear of man, you are demeaning yourself. There shall come a day when man, then the man when the man that was ashamed of Christ will himself be ashamed. He will wonder, where can he hide his guilty head? Look at him. There he is, the traitor who denied his Lord. The Christ was spat upon and nailed to the cross. And this man was afraid to own him, to win the smile of a silly maid, to escape the jest of a coarse fellow to win a few pieces of silver to stand respectable among his fellow men. He turned his back upon the Redeemer and sold his Lord. And now what can be said for him? Who can accuse him or excuse him? Basically, there's a lot of old English in there. Don't compromise when faced with the flame. Trust that God will keep you safe. Don't turn your back towards God because fear of man has fallen upon you. We're told to have the fear of God. What can man do to us? Man can kill us, but God can, can separate my soul and body. 
right? You can, you can be killed and then be separated from God forever. Man can only bring you closer to God, right? Verses 19 through 23, just so y'all know, this is the third point. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army of army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Remember what I said, how this was a good cop, bad cop routine that Nebuchadnezzar was doing, right? He was being kind to them. Well, now you see the fury that he had, which led him to bring them in to interrogate them, coming back, right? It's, it says that he was full of fury and his expression changed. What he did next is a little bit of overkill, I think. Uh, he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times as hot as it usually is. The fire was so hot, it killed the guards that brought them bound to the furnace. Yeah, right? A pastor friend of mine posed a question. He said, why did he command, it, command that the heat be raised? I think that's an interesting one. If he was so furious, why didn't he lower the heat? Right? The hotter it is, it's, it's just kind of like science, I guess. The hotter something is, the quicker they burn. Right? If it's so hot, like, you're, go you're, you're going to die quicker. Like, you could be incinerated. And then they're not actually dealing with as much pain. Right? So why did he raise, like, it's... It's an interesting question. Why did, why did he ask it to be raised instead of having them slowly burned to death? He was so furious. It's like, oh, well, they'll, they'll die quicker. Instead, the guard, like, instead they were incinerated. They're, they should have been incinerated like the guards were, right? They died immediately because of how hot the flames were. Right? That's just an interesting thought. I think... Personally, when his, in his fury, he wasn't seeing things clearly. Uh, if he wasn't as furious, he probably would have killed them faster or like slower, lowered the heat, let them suffer, I don't know. They were walking around in the midst of this fire, unbound, and there was a fourth person in there. But Jesus will be with you. Now what the fire... Can anybody tell me what fire usually represents in the Bible? Fire? No, we learned about it in James. 
I'll mention in a bit. Anybody? No? Okay. So, fire refines us. Fire is rep- represents as like, you know, being thrown into the fire. Gold, how it is in the fire and it's heated up. You take the, to- uh, the anything like that's not gold off and then throw it back into the fire and it's meant to refine us over and over again. Fire usually represents trials. And we learned about it in James 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We're being tested. We're being thrown into the fire. We're going, going through these trials to be refined, to be made perfect in his image, lacking nothing. Right? Guzik put it this way. We don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that the Son of God was in there with them, or was with them in their fiery trial. Sometimes we are aware of Jesus' presence in our trials, but sometimes we're not. But he is there nonetheless. Right? It doesn't matter if you can tell that he's there or not. He's always with us. Right? When you accept Christ into your life, he's always going to be there. Even if you can't see it. The last thing here is that the only thing that was burned away was their bindings. They were walking around in the midst of the fire. You know, we are bound by sin, right? Or we were bound by sin. And now we are being made more and more into his image, into God's image. We are going through this fire to test us, to make us this pure gold, right? That when, when gold is pure, it is like, it's like a mirror. You can, you can see everything. I want to be reflecting Christ. I want to be reflecting Jesus. I don't mind going through, through a couple trials, probably more than a couple trials. If it means at the end of the day, I'm being made into his image. These men showed faith that God was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. They showed faith that God was more powerful than the furnace. Despite their youth, God used them. And that is the whole goal of this series. How could God use your youth? Let no one ever say you're too young to do something. Right? As it says in Timothy, let no one despise your youth. You're never too young to be used by God. Now, that's not saying that, you know, as a, a say, a kid in elementary school, God's going to send you across the world to Africa. That may not happen, but if it does, you know, I mean, go. Hopefully your parents are being called too, because then that just weird if you're leaving your parents at that young age. I don't think that's that's right, right? But you're never too young to be used. 
That's the point. And that's what we're going to be, mainly what I'm going to be harping on throughout the entire series, that you're never too young to be used. These men trusted God, they stood for what they believed, and now they got, they got thrown into the fire. They're coming out unharmed. They believed in God. They believed God was going to save them, and he did. They didn't compromise. So these men stood for what they believed, and they were cast into the fire for it. What, can, what we can learn here is that uh, that we are thrown, that when we are thrown into the fire, Jesus will be with us. Now, we won't necessarily be thrown into a furnace. So the answers to these questions are simple because, you know, like I've, always, like I've told you, some, most of these questions are found right in the text, right? But sim- he, simply, he saw Jesus in there with them and the only thing that was burned on them was their binding, bindings. They didn't have any cuffs on them, they had no rope or whatever they used. They weren't bound, they were free, they were walking around. Now you, now you may have this thought, I've had this thought before, Jesus wasn't born yet, right? This is the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't born until like the New Testament. But throughout the entire Old Testament, we see appearances of Jesus. Whenever Jesus appears, it's usually, he, he's usually called the Son of God. Or, uh, yeah, Son of God. Like when, uh, was it Jacob who fought all night? Yeah, Jacob fought all night. He fought with the Son of God. And then his hip got dislocated. <coughs> Moving on to the last point. It's the four men alive and well. Verses 24 through 25 say, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So the king looks into, in to watch, probably from a safe distance, or who knows what this contraption was, this furnace. But he was safe, and he was watching. Can anybody tell me what he saw? What is his scene? So in conclusion, my four points this morning... The first point was the three accused. Certain Chaldeans are like, these Chaldeans that, they, that accuse them are like sharks in the water, smelling blood. Uh, and like lions in the field with, an eye, with their eyes on the wounded gazelle. They're only looking to get gain advantage. The king asks the three answer. They took their stand and were not afraid because the God who they serve would deliver them. They knew that. They had the same attitude as Esther, saying, if I perish, I perish. Then the sudden change of temperature, don't compromise on your convictions. Face the flame and trust that God will keep you safe. And then the last one was four four men alive and well. These men showed faith that God was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, that he was more powerful 
in the furnace. Despite their youth, God used them. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, help us to stand firm in our conviction, Lord, and, and not compromise when the world may not agree with us. Lord, help us to just stand firm like they did. Lord, as we go through these trials, as we go through the fire, Lord, help, remind us that you are always with us, whether we see you or not. Lord, just give us that, that faith in you. Lord, use, use the youth here, Lord, that no one despise their youth. Lord, I pray this all in your name. Amen.